episode number 72. The shofar brings us back to that very essential point, to the point of our creation, to why we're alive. Welcome to the Torah Podcast. Lessons from authentic Judaism. Get the tools and inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff with this week's Torah Podcast. This week, the Torah portion is Ki Savo, How to Connect with Your Essence, The Power of the Shofar. We're going to have a powerful parable about the King's Messengers, a great story about Shach, and peace in your home, faith and Shaduchim. And now, the Torah portion of the week, with novel ideas from the classic commentaries. In Devarim chapter 27, it says like this, And Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the entire commandment that I command you this day. It shall be on the day that you cross the Jordan to go to the land of Hashem, your God gives you. You shall set up great stones for yourself, and you shall coat them with plaster. And you shall scribe on them all the words of this Torah when you cross over, so that you may enter the land of Hashem. Your God gives you a land flowing with milk and honey, as Hashem, the God of your forefathers, spoke about you. It shall be, when you cross the Jordan, you shall erect these stones which I command you on Mount Avo, and you shall coat them a plaster. And then it says you should build an altar, and it ends by saying, you shall inscribe on these stones all the words of this Torah well clarified. Moses and the Kohanim, the Levites, spoke to all of Yisrael, saying, Be attentive and hear, O Yisrael, this day you have become a people to Hashem, your God. You shall listen to the voice of Hashem, your God, and you shall perform all of His commandments and His statutes which I command you today. So the Midrash explains this mitzvah is there to teach us that if we learn Torah, so all our enemies will be expelled from the land. And that's why we do it as we're about to enter into Eretz Yisrael. And the Rabbeinu Bachia brings down it's a machlokis between the Ramban and Rav Sajagon as to how much we wrote on these stones. Pashtis, it says all the Torah, so we wrote the entire Torah on the stones. That's according to the Ramban. And according to Rav Sajagon, he said we listed the 613 commandments on the stones. And he also says it's there to remind the people that the conquest of the land was only designed to enable them to keep the Torah in the land. In other words, the land is in order for us to be able to learn Torah. And the Malbim explains this was the custom of all the nations. When they would conquer a land into the entrance, they would put slabs of stones and they would write things on them. So we were commanded to do this, he says, that it should be for the glory of Hashem and not for our own personal glory. And that it would symbolize that God is the one who gives us victory and it's not our own personal victory. So he goes on to explain that this is really a new bris. This is a new covenant between the Jewish people and Hashem. And the bris is called the Arvos Moav, a new covenant. This is the third covenant that we had between us and Hashem. So he wants to explain, why do we need a third covenant? Why a third time do we have to recreate the bris with a Kaddish Baruch Hu? So he gives three reasons. One reason is because Moshe is about to die. And since there's never going to be another leader like this, this is a chance during Moshe's lifetime to recreate the connection between Hashem and the Jewish people. The second reason why we needed a new bris was because all these years we were 40 years in the desert and we were eating spiritual food and we were totally spiritual and dependent on Hashem. Now we're about to come into the land and things are about to get normal. We have to work the earth, we have to make settlements, we have to organize, we have to have politics. And in a certain sense, God's providence is going to be more hidden. And therefore we had to reestablish the covenant. 
And the third reason he brings down is because in the future, the future generations will say, listen, our forefathers had no choice. What were they supposed to do in the desert? Not listen to Hashem? Everything was dependent on Hashem. In a certain sense, they were forced to listen to Hashem. It's time now for us to be like all the other nations. Let's just live a normal life. What do we need this religion for? And this covenant there was to establish, no, it wasn't just in the desert that your forefathers listened to me. Even when they came to Israel, in a normal life, they also kept the Torah. And they did so willingly, not with lightning and thunder like at Har Sinai, and Hashem held above us the Har, the mountain. And not like in the Midbar, we were completely dependent on Him. But even when they came to Eretz Yisrael, they still kept the mitzvahs. And that's what it means at the end of the verse. It says, you have become a people to Hashem today with your own free will, lovingly accepting the yo of mitzvahs. And this was to be a sign for all the generations. So the Sforno is medactic in the verse. It says, be attentive and hear Yisrael. This day you have become a people to Hashem, your God. You shall listen to the voice of Hashem. First of all, it says, Haskes, which means imagine. You have to picture in your mind. And when you do picture in your mind, and you conjure up this picture in your mind and comprehend, without a doubt, you will listen to the voice of Hashem. In other words, this is supposed to be a simon, the fact that we wrote this, the Torah on stone. This symbol will help all the generations to continue in the ways of Hashem. And the Torah brings down the Ramban, who also says, you have to picture in your mental eye, that by picturing this, by keeping the mitzvahs, will be worthy to keep the land. And that's why it's placed at the entrance to Yisrael. So the Shem Mishmu explains, this is a very unusual mitzvah. Normally the Torah is written on parchment, and the parchment has to be prepared. It's on the skin of the animal, and it needs to be prepared. But here we're writing on stones. So it brings on the Pasuk in Mishle 3.3 that says, Write them on the tablet of your heart. In other words, when a person writes a Sefer Torah, part of the writing is to establish the words inside of the person's heart. And he explains that that's part of the symbolism of writing on a parchment, because the animal needs to be prepared. Just like we need to prepare our own hearts to, in order to accept the Torah. A person who writes a Torah, he's getting it to penetrate his heart. He's preparing his heart to receive the Torah. But there's a problem. And the problem is what the Zohar says. The Zohar says, no man is ever purified except with the words of Torah. So what comes first? How is a person supposed to prepare himself to receive the Torah if he needs the Torah even for the preparation? Only the Torah is going to purify our hearts. So how can we purify our hearts in order to receive the Torah? Contradiction. So he wants to explain. There's really two parts to every person's heart. There's the deeper part, which is always pure and always holy and cannot be affected by anything external. And then there's the more external part of a person's heart, which is impressionable, which gets influenced by outside sources and can be defiled by the, seeing the wrong things and hearing the wrong things and by being involved with the wrong things. So if a person wants to really get started, he has to go into his deeper part. That's the starting point. If a person can penetrate his inner heart, at that point he starts to go on the right way. And he can also penetrate and affect and influence the external part of his heart, which is represented by writing on a parchment, the animal part of the person, the external part of the person. But it can be affected by the inner part. What's the inner part? The stone. 
The thing that's unchangeable. It never changed. His inner, inner heart is always pure. It's always close to Hashem. It always wants to come close. And that's why we wrote on stone as we entered into Israel to start a new life, into a new land, a new beginning. To begin, a person has to penetrate his deepest part. And from there, he can influence the other parts of his personality. So I want to bring down what Moshe Shapiro said about the chauffeur. We know that we start to blow the shofar every day of Elul for 40 days. And on Yom Kippur, we receive the Torah a second time, the second Lukos. So one of the reasons Chazal brings down to blow the shofar is because it can prevent Avodah Zarah, idol worship. We didn't want, God forbid, for the sin of the golden calf to happen a second time. So we made a decree that we should blow the shofar for 40 days before receiving the second Lukos. Secondly, we know that redemption is connected with the shofar. The shofar gadol, at the end of the day, is going to be a tremendous shofar. It's connected with redemption. And third of all, it's connected with judgment. So what's the power of the shofar exactly? Why is it so powerful? It can stop a vodazara. It can bring redemption. It can make the judgment sweet. What's the power of the shofar? So he explains. In Bereshit, the verse says that Hashem breathed the living soul into man. The essence of life is breath. And Hashem blew the breath of life into man. And the other aspect of man, it's also with the breath, is that he speaks. And the Targum says there that when Hashem blew the breath of life into man, he said he blew it into a creature that speaks. So the shofar is connected with the essence of man before speech, with the breath. We blow the shofar, and it's a sound without words. And man was created in Rosh Hashanah, and it's connected with the shofar. And the shofar has the ability to get us back to our essence. Really, that's the point. To the most fundamental part of our hearts. To the stone, to the soul, the foundation of our creation, of who we are. Which is similar to the bris that we created with the stones as we came to Israel. Man was created to bring God into the world and do the will of God. It's his relationship with God. That's what man is. The shofar brings us back to that very essential point to the point of our creation, to why we're alive. It's like a blast of truth. It's the most fundamental cry from the depths of our souls to get us back in touch with our deeper selves. So that's what we're supposed to do when we hear the chauffeur. I blow so many times the chauffeur, what are you doing just standing there? No, we're supposed to be trying to contact our souls. We're thinking about what, why am I alive? What am I doing here? Why God created me? And he explained that not until later years did they add into the prayers of Rosh Hashanah any prayers for the individual, for himself. The majority of the prayers on Rosh Hashanah are just making Hashem the Melech. And what about asking for things for ourselves? The answer is that's Mamela. That's automatic. In other words, if we get in touch with ourselves, our real selves, and our true purpose, of course we're not going to sin. Of course, it's going to prevent us from bringing another golden calf. And of course, it's going to bring the redemption. And of course, it's going to sweeten the judgment. Because that's what we were created for. To get in touch with our deeper selves. To live lives of purity, of morality, of truth. And all the blessings are going to come by themselves. And really, nothing belongs to us. What do we deserve? Whatever Hashim gives us is just, it's right, it's pure. It's, it's the correct thing. Our children are not ours. Our wives are not ours. Our house is not ours. 
Nothing is ours. We are a soul that came into this world. To do what? To do the will of God. Ah, we want blessings. We want money. We want things. Okay. If you do the right thing, Hashem will give you the kalim. The things that you need to do the mitzvahs. Of course, parnas, the money will come. Because you need money to do mitzvahs. Of course, the blessings will happen in your family. All the good things will come. But the focus is, is to get to the essence, which is the reason why the Torah was written on stone as we came into Eretz Yisrael, to get down to the hardware of who we are. And that's the avoda. that's the thing we need to do on Rosh Hashanah when we hear the shofar, to take the time and to meditate and to think and go deep inside of our souls, to really think, why are we here? What are we doing? We're here to become a Selim Elohim, to make ourselves in the image of God. The first Lubavitcher Rebbe said, what does it mean, Rosh Velolazanov? That you should, we say on Rosh Hashanah, we should be a Rosh, we should be a head and not a tail. It means we should follow our Seichel, our intellect. The Rosh is the intellect. The tail is the emotions, like a dog that wags his tail. We have to go according to our intellect, our understanding, our Seichel, our Neshama, our souls. And if we do that on Rosh Hashanah, we'll be blessed with all the blessings for the year. It's an opportunity on the day that we were created to get back to our essential selves. And that's the thing that's going to bring all the blessings. Here is a powerful parable to open your mind and help you reach your potential. The Magi Madur brings the same verse. It says, the Kohanim Levim addressed to Yisrael and say, Take heed and accept Yisrael. On this day you have become a people. But the Gemara asks, wasn't the Torah given 40 years ago? What do you mean on this day? This is 40 years later. So Chazal says this is to teach us that the Torah is beloved upon those who learn it as if the day it was given on Har Sinai. So there's another Chazal that says if a person is supposed to say the Shema morning and evening and if he misses one night, it's like he never said it in his life. So how can we understand this? He wants to bring a mushal. So when a king wages a war, he doesn't stand in the middle of the battlefield himself. There's all these scouts along the way, and he screams to one, and the next one screams to the other, and it, the information travels. But that's on the condition that all the scouts are in their position. Because if one of the scouts is not in his position, the information is not going to travel to the next one. So he wants to say the same thing on Har Sinai. At Har Sinai, when we receive the Torah, we are filled with awe and holiness and all the other attributes that we need to serve Hashem. And that's why I have to be very careful to recite the Shema every day. Because we recite the Shema every day. We connect ourselves to the earlier generations. So that's what it meant. And this day you've become a people. Even though it's true, 40 years earlier, you received the Torah. But the Torah is still with you today. And you're about to go into Eretz Yisrael. Today you have become a people. And you have kept the Torah until now. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. So one of the curses in this week's parsha is you will go mad from the sight of your eyes that you will see. So one time, one of the Talmud of Rev Shach went to go visit him during the Chagim. It's a mitzvah to visit your Rebbe on Pesach and Sukkot. So in the taxi, the Talmud said to the taxi cab driver, listen, the streets seem very empty. What's going on? He says, yeah, most people were inside their house listening to the soccer game. The Israelis are in the finals. And he said, I'd also like to be in my house, but I need to work. So he turned on the radio, and he heard that the Israelis won. He was all excited. So when the Talmud got to Rav Shach, Rav Shach usually greeted them very warmly. But today when he got there, he said, Oi, we won. 
The whole country is celebrating. Reb Shach said, if it wasn't for the fact that today is Cholim Oed, I would make a public fast. So the Talmud didn't really understand what was the big problem with the fact that the Israelis won the game. So Reb Shach explained, he said, this is worse than sinning because they have totally perverted the concept and significance of man. The important part of man is his image of God, the ability to reason and think logically. They've turned everything upside down. They've made what's important the way he kicks a ball. So the Talmud says, you're right, I pity them. So Rav Shach says, them? I wouldn't even make a fast for them. I'd make the fast for us, because we're being influenced, and I can prove it to you. Do you view these people as if they're mad or insane? If not, then you too have been affected. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. So when Moshe Aaron Stone speaks about faith in Shaduchim, so when it comes to Shaduchim, sometimes it's very difficult. Sometimes it's very hard for some people. It takes them a long time to get married. But a person shouldn't give up hope. Because what is a Muna, faith? It means to continue. Even though you're not being answered, you have to keep praying. He brings down that Avadya's wife cried to Elisha 265 times from the same gematria, the numerical value of tsa'aka, of screaming, yelling. And the end, Elisha gave her a bracha, and everything worked out there. He has another story of an Avrech with no children. And he used to go every day to the Sadek, Rav Shlomo Blach. The Brisker Rav claimed he was one of the Lamed Vav Sadikim, one of the 36 Sadikim. So Rav Blach used to say to the Bachar, I give you a bracha. So he says, I want a promise. This is a promise I can't give you. This went on for months and months. Every day this guy would go to Rav Blach and ask him for a blessing to have children. So finally he said to him, do you believe? He says, yes, I do. He says, go out and buy a baby stroller. He went to Gaula, bought the stroller, wheeled it all the way home. A year later, he gave birth to a baby boy. So you see, if you don't give up, you can be Matzliak. That's part of faith. That's what faith is, not giving up. The Chasim Sofer says in the verse, And you shall see me from behind, but from in front of me you will not see. It's only until afterwards, when you look back on your life, that you can understand everything worked out. But from the front, you can't see anything. Also, when it comes to Parnassah, money. People want to get married into money. It's not a new thing. It's been going on for thousands of years. Many times, the yeshiva guy wants to marry a rich girl. But what happens? Even before the wedding, he loses all of his money. And his father has to pay for the wedding. The Gemara Gitan says, A little wealth is good, but a lot of wealth is bad. Rashi explains there. Because you have a lot of wealth, it takes you out of learning. It also makes you proud. And the Chavas Levavos says that the love of this world and the love of next world is like having two wives in one house. When the husband wants one, the other one gets mad. This world and the next world. So one time, Yeshiva Bacha came to the Chavetz Chaim. He was already 25 years old. He was not getting married. So the Chavetz Chaim spoke to him. And he says, no, I'm looking for us. Uh, I want my father-in-law to be able to support me for at least five years. So the Chavetz Chaim said to him, how long do you think you're going to live? Well, he says, what do you mean? The verse says until you can live to 70 years, 80 years. So you're just looking for five years. Who's going to support you for the next 50 years? He says, I believe in Hashem. So the Chavetz Chaim said, let your ears hear what your mouth is saying. You're trying to say from age 30 until age 80, you're going to rely on Hashem. And from age 25 to 30, you're not going to rely on Hashem. They say that by the Kosos, he was extremely poor. And he wound up out of Shittuk from a very poor family. And they didn't know what to do. So they went to the Rav at the time. And the Rav said, nope, don't worry. Worst comes to worst. He can go back to his house to eat. And she could go back to her house to eat. In the end, what came out? The Kosos. One of the greatest rabbis that's ever lived. When it comes to marriage, you have to have faith. You have to go forward. He also tells a story about Elia Lopian. 
So there's a yeshiva, Bachar wanted to leave the yeshiva. How am I going to get married? I have to get a trade. I have to get a job. So the Rav said, well, who's, how do you know you're going to get married? Who says you'll find the Shidduch? So the boy says, it's written in Chazal. 40 days before, it's written, who are you going to marry? He says, but how do you know you're going to have children? He says, what, the Rav wants to curse me? No, I'm just asking you, how do you know? He says, don't worry, Hashem will provide. Am I different than anybody else? He says, okay, you're right, you're right. He says, well, how do you know you're going to find work? He says, don't worry, Hashem will help. So he said to him the same thing the Chavetz Chaim said, let your ears hear what your mouth is saying. You have faith for all these other things, and all of a sudden, when it comes to Parnassah, you don't have faith. In the end, that Shem Bachar became a great Rosh Hashiva. And he ends up with the Chavetz Chaim that said, when a Ben Torah gets married and wants to leave learning to go into business, he's lucky if he loses his dowry right away. Why? Because if he loses the money before he forgets how to learn, he can still become a Rosh Hashiva. But if he keeps the money and goes into business and it drags on for a while, and then he loses the money, so he won't be able to become a Rosh Hashiva anymore. And that's exactly what happened to this Yeshiva Bachar that the Chavetz Chaim was speaking to. He lost all of his money in the end and became a great Rosh Hashiva. Okay, that's it for this week's Torah Podcast. Please share it with your friends and please leave comments. Thank you for listening. To get more enthusiasm for your Judaism, become a free member at globalyeshiva.com.